0: And welcome back to yet another episode of Across the Pond. It looks very different uh, because like you were a couple of weeks ago, Barry, I'm in an undisclosed location. I know we talked like we are some Secret Service spies uh, with these very important... We are, Chad. What do you mean we talk like we are spies? We are spies. Don't give it away. <laughs> With these really important undisclosed locations but yeah it's good to be here it's good to be i'm sorry i'm a little late uh for those of you who are tuned in live uh but better late than never right
1: Indeed, indeed, Chad. I know it's been a crazy couple days for you, so we will give you a pass on this one. I know you set up in absolutely record time. For those who don't know, normally Chad takes a long time to get all his equipment ready and tinker with all the bits and pieces, and that's why it sounds, looks so good. But today we're going for a more kind of homegrown acoustic approach here, Chad, without so much the tech.
0: Minimalistic. Barry's been giving me uh, lessons behind the scenes here on Letting go, letting go on perfectionistic <laughs> tendencies, production, high production quality, uh, you know, uh, f- things that kind of maybe hold us back from creating. I mean, I don't have my, my usual yeah, full on setup with like all sorts of lights and stuff, but I mean, what do you need, right? You just need you, me, Barry, some great stuff to talk about, and I think we've got a, a great episode ahead of us.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. A wide mix of stuff. There's lots of variety in tonight's show. And so, Chad, I don't know about you, but I'm keen to get stuck in. Should we get stuck into The Week That Was?
0: Let's do it. The Week That Was So we're starting this one off on a rather somber note. Uh, of course, we are talking about Prince Philip passing away uh, at the age of 99. Uh Quite, quite a quite a, a high age number, Barry. Um, you know, a decent, a decent life. Uh, certainly. Uh, but but obviously one that you know the the country and the world at large are, are mourning. Uh, you know, rightly so. Uh, and you know, for those of you who maybe don't know who Prince Philip is, um, he is of course uh, the Queen's husband and consort has been for the last sort of seven decades. Um, a man who was born in Corfu, a wonderful sort of Greek island. Uh, Which I still one day want to go and visit Um, and also has some sort of Denmark heritage Uh, You know him and his family were kind of forced to to leave because of a coup uh, at the time Uh, Settled in Paris and sort of managed to work his way into the UK Uh, Ended up going to a naval school joined the Navy did did a lot of good work there and it was actually, you know during a Escorting a sort of royal assignment uh, that he met uh, the, the Queen to be obviously at that stage uh, she was not the queen um, and you know of course got married did all that kind of good stuff and um, you know they he, he stayed in the Navy at that point until she got the tragic news of her father's passing and uh, of course was then you know carried you know you know then had to, to hold the crown and uh, you know, it was essentially coronated. So it was only at that stage that, um, you know, he actually left the Navy, but did a lot of good work, a lot, lot of good work there, uh, you know, during during his time. And and of course, you know, throughout the war and all the rest, there, there was a lot of building of that relationship through, through letters uh, throughout the war, a, a trying time and, and something that I guess none of us can relate to, um, you know, having all of these instant messaging and all sorts of stuff that we have today. Um, and and so, yeah, he's been her consort ever since. Uh, a tragic, tragic passing, Barry. Lots to talk about in terms of his character. A, a much-loved man. As I said throughout the uk uh, but certainly throughout the world and uh you know i i kind of look at all of our conversations about the crown uh and you know everything i've seen this past week uh in terms of past clips of him and uh, all of the good stuff that he's, he's accomplished in his life uh it certainly seems to me that his character was portrayed pretty well uh, and he certainly is a man that we've missed
1: yeah, it's one of those things, Chad. It's a little bit strange for me because my only recollection of him or any knowledge of him comes from the crown itself. And yeah. so you never quite know like how, how accurate some of that is. And it's obviously dramatized and whatnot for for good TV. And so it has been interesting to kind of see how, all, as all the tributes have been coming in and all the information has been coming in about his life, trying to like re- reconcile that with what we saw in the crown, right? Yep. And Like you say, was this man of honor, this man of duty, that all of a sudden got sucked into this royal family and became king almost out of nowhere because of the abdication, and uh, had to like completely change his life. And in the crown, we see him going through a lot of a lot of anxiety and stress about this new role he has to play, and he did it for decades and decades and decades. And so, yeah, I, I like like you say, I think it's great innings. Ninety nine is a is a really good place to get to, um, and it's one of those things where. It's a reminder of how long this royal family has been in, in power. Like it's crazy to think how long that they has been the, the, the queen's consorts and how long Queen Elizabeth has been on the throne. Um, it really has been a, a, a long era of, of, of reign. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to the royal family. Of course, we've spoken about some of the drama and yeah. some of the, the theatrics behind the scenes in the last little bit. Um, but a moment to look back on his life and to kind of mourn the death of, of Prince Philip.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I mean, of course, on that on that king part that you're talking about, Barry, uh, obviously talking about her, her father um, who who tragically passed away. And, you know, she, she was obviously uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, then cast into duty, but but completely agreed, um, you know, definitely a, a life we're all going to mourn and a good in, innings, nonetheless. Um, but but, you know, death is never a good thing, no matter how long uh, you you know, you seem to last type of thing. And uh, yeah, Queen Elizabeth herself is, is 94. It's actually going to be her birthday in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, she's going to be turning ninety-five, and Barry obviously after after you know a week of mourning or, or whatever the case is, she, she's back to doing some royal duties. So the the royal family are basically taking two weeks to mourn, but they're going to be doing duties that are sort of related, um, and so you know this duty that uh, she was on today um, was you know one of the most senior kind of members uh, of her staff. Um, you know, being replaced, kind of thing, and uh, you know, she's she's back at it, and that that I guess talks to the resilience of of the monarchy. Uh, it's it's about the duty, it's about that sense of duty to to the country, uh, and kind of you know getting on with it. But let's sort of stop for for a moment and, and talk a little bit more about Prince Philip and and some, of, some a bit of his character. Um, you know talking talking about that marriage and uh you know how how they lasted so long uh some of the humorous things he, he he spoke to about about tolerance really uh being one of the key values in having a marriage that lasts so long and uh you know making a couple of jokes about saying that the queen has plenty of that um and also just a, a lot of his antics as well i've seen i've seen clips of a you know a photo shoot of, of the royal family and he's he's sitting there Obviously, quite impatient about it uh, in in his older years. Um, actually, saying to the photographer, "Just take the fucking photograph, <laughs> really." Um, and I think I think that sort of sums up how how I think about him. You know, when when being asked from press, "Are you well?" Uh, he kind of retorts with, "Do, do I look ill?" Um, you know, all of those all of those kinds of things. And uh, you know, I think I certainly related to him uh, quite a lot um, before. You know not 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 being so so stiff if that if that makes sense being being prepared to i guess uh you know be a bit more human and and have a laugh every now and then too
1: yeah, definitely. He's one of the few members of that family that has a sense of humor and is willing to actually share it, right? Is willing to, to be the butt of the joke, is willing to make mistakes in public, and there's tons of bloopers you can find of videos of him making mistakes at <laughs> various yeah. occasions and whatnot, and he laughs it off with absolutely, like he doesn't take himself too seriously, and that is very rare for someone who's born into a family like that, right? Or was kind of pulled into a family like that. The whole idea is you're supposed to be this perfect idealistic person, and you're supposed to hold yourself with a certain kind of gravitas and a certain you know, okay. sophisticated and he just was able to be himself. He was able to kind of recognize that part of his character was that humor and was that wit and that and that sarcasm sometimes. And so that's really refreshing. And I hope that that's what comes in the next generation of the royal family. Um, it's it's what's desperately needed. We need more people in yeah. the well. Well, if the royal family is to survive, it needs more relatable characters. Right? It needs Definitely. people who can actually can crack a smile and crack a joke and can kind of do what Prince Philip did. Um, and so, only time will tell what his legacy is going to be, and like kind of what what his sons are going to going to turn out to do, um, and what the royal family is going to look like in in a few decades' time when his sons are, uh, exceed to the throne.
0: Absolutely, we'll have to sort of wait and see for that. But as we stand right now, uh, his sh- funeral is scheduled to happen this weekend, I believe on Saturday, um, and within sort of palace grounds, uh, within within the chapel, uh, within palace grounds, and only 30 people can attend. Now, that's obviously in line with COVID restrictions. Uh, the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, was offered a seat uh, to the funeral, and he, he gave it up for, for family. Um, so, so that's also something really interesting uh, to know. But of course, wherever you are in the UK or rest of the world this uh, this weekend, I'm sure you're going to see some coverage of that. So definitely something to to keep an eye out. Talking about coverage, so Barry, I found something quite interesting. Um, and the BBC, obviously the the national broadcasts over here, um, have received the most complaints they've ever received. Um, over over his his passing, so essentially in that in their broadcasting of his death, um, they basically cancelled all other shows and on pretty much every single channel, whether you on uh, you know on TV or, or audio channels as well, it was basically all Prince Philip coverage and a lot of complaints coming through from that. A lot of people saying you know it would be good to have the choice to mourn or you know the choice to to remember and on one channel of of coverage, be it audio or video but by kind of having it on all all channels you almost don't give people a choice to uh, you know consume any other content and so they've received a hundred thousand over a hundred thousand complaints which is like I said the most uh, ever in history I thought that was quite interesting
1: it is interesting, but it doesn't surprise me one bit, to be honest, Chad. I think that the royal family has operated for a long time, assuming that everyone is bought into the idea and everyone's bought into kind of the the the, the circumstance, right, and the way they run themselves. And the BBC and, and all the, the news, news sites and media sites kind of carry on that momentum. But I don't think that the majority of the UK are actually fully on board with the royal family at this stage. They probably have one of their lowest yeah. approval ratings or lowest kind of... Um, audiences in a long time and so I can imagine people might get upset if the whole week's programming would be completely dedicated to this man um, especially in the middle of the controversy around the family itself um, and so it is a strange one I, I think it's obviously tradition that you try and you, you want national mourning and you want to kind of use of whatever platforms you can to mourn the death of, of, of the king um, but I can imagine why people get upset and uh, I for one I'm glad I'm not the person receiving those phone calls and those emails Chad that's for sure.
0: <laughs> absolutely well we've seen so many of these complaints coming through over the last bit uh, and you know it all does seem to be related to the, the royal family of course I'm talking about the Piers Morgan complaints after the Meghan and Harry interview as well um, so yeah interesting to, to, to hear that and uh, I mean I certainly will keep an eye out this weekend uh, for the coverage of, of that funeral and, and as you know I'm sure it will be uh, you know quite quite an affair this side and I'm sure they would have wanted it to be an even bigger affair had had COVID not been kind of in the way, um but but uh, but yeah, Barry, Barry. Just talking talking about that, talking about covert being on the way, all that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the reasons I was late today was because I've kind of actually gone into the office again this week um and have, have started commuting. And and London is, for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes, back. Crowds all over the place. Um, you know the tubes are definitely starting to get a lot more busy. Um it's it's quite a strange feeling, but you know typically when I would have been you know cursing at crowds of people on a tube station or you know kind of you know to try and get past people or where when I'm on my way to where I'm going, I'm actually quite happy to, to just be alongside other bits of human life, you know.
1: It must feel really surreal, Chad, like you said, a couple of weeks ago you were sitting at home feeling quite down about the whole situation feeling like locked in a cage in a sense and now now things are starting to get back to normal and so i can only imagine what they must feel like obviously here in south africa we don't come into contact with that many groups of people because i don't really use public transport and those sorts of things so i can't quite relate to what you're saying but i can understand that it must be quite a strange experience and i I wonder how long it'll take before it feels normal chad or before before it kind of fades into the distance and you Mm. don't realize that you're breathing on the person in front of you on the tube
0: I honestly think it'll be only a couple of weeks before we we get back to... Uh, hating having everyone all around us, um, but but yeah, I certainly will let you know <laughs> as it gets on. I did want to quickly, even before we got started on the week that was, there's something I missed, uh, and I wanted to say, you know, kind of happy holidays or uh, best blessings to everyone who's celebrating uh, Ramadan, uh, you know, in this coming month. I know it's a, it's a tricky time mm-hmm. of, of fasting um, as well, and so if you have kind of colleagues or, or friends who you know are are you know going on. Uh, Ramadan for this next month. Uh, I guess you you do need to be a bit more uh, courteous and, and understanding uh, with, with energy levels, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Barry. One really interesting thing that I wanted to chat about, uh, and obviously, you know, I've only ever experienced experiences from a South African perspective, um, is is the effect on on the time difference. Obviously, being here in the UK. Um, the sun at the moment is rising really early, like earlier than five o'clock in the morning, uh, going down sort of around, <laughs> I don't know, half seven, eight, whatever the case is. It's a long day of fasting. And, uh, you know, if, if we were back, in, when I was back in South Africa, uh, you know, the, the schedule was certainly a lot more forgiving.
1: Yeah, definitely. It certainly is nothing to sneeze at. Um, I think that what they do is is really impressive from a physical and a mental perspective. And if you look into some of the spiritual reasons behind it, it really is a test of the human will in a sense yeah. and kind of a sacrifice of those things to make you feel grateful for the life that you have. And what I found amazing is I was watching the cricket today, South Africa playing Pakistan. and. Obviously, the, a lot of the Pakistani um, players are on Muslim and we're fasting today. But they were out there playing sport in the hot, victorious yeah, sun. They were running like crazy on no on, on food, which is absolutely amazing. And so it's just a reminder, like outside of the religious aspects, a reminder of what the human body is capable of and kind of those physical those physical limitations we think we have on ourselves. But if you actually just use your mind, the mental can can overtake that. And so I'm. I'm in all the people who do it. I really do have a lot of respect for everyone who does. Who does kind of follow the, the the, the pieces of Ramadan. And so yeah, for everyone out there celebrating, we, we are with
0: you in spirit. We definitely definitely are. Okay, Barry. Let's uh, let's keep on going. We talk about Taylor Swift today, um, and you know this ever so important discussion that we keep touching back on, uh, especially when it comes to artists and, and art and creating things. Um, And, you know, dialing back to to who owns what and and what can they do with it. Uh, So some news coming out uh, this past week, not really news, I guess a a release, uh, but one that is not all that new. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, Chad, it's a it's a very familiar story by this point on Across the Pond. We chatted about Dave Chappelle a couple of weeks ago and talked about him trying to get back control of something he signed away in his teens. And this is a very similar thing. Um, for those who've been following the Taylor Swift story, she's been fighting to get back control of her masters for a long time now, when she was 19 years old and like, only coming onto the music scene. She signed a big deal with a record company called Big Machine Records. And in that deal, she signed away her first six albums. So the rights and IP to those first six albums to this record company. And at the time they were taking a chance on her. She was this unknown sure. singer with potential, but but no, no clue about what kind of a superstar she was going to become. And in 2008, her second album was called Fearless. And that was the one that kind of catapulted her into superstardom, Chad. I'm sure everyone will know the hits off that album. It was like vintage Taylor Swift is when Tay-Tay was born. And really changed the world of pop music by bringing this, country, this, this country-esque singer into mainstream pop. And she really took the world by storm. And of course, she still had to deliver four albums after that. So if we fast forward to 2018, when she finally released her sixth album and was kind of free of that contract, she immediately moved to a new record label called a public record, which is under Universal. And then she tried to buy back her masters. She wanted to like repurchase those masters so she owned the IP, owned those songs in, in outright. And the company basically said no. They said, no, we, we paid for them. We want to keep yeah. them. And there was huge drama in that sense because she felt she was entitled to those and didn't really agree with the deal she had signed when she was 19 years old. Very, very familiar story. Um, And so after that, what happened a few months later, very, very soon after that, um, the company itself was sold to one of Scooter Braun's investment vehicles. Now, Scooter Braun is the producer behind Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber and a whole range of of, of highly talented musicians. And Swift was furious about this because she had asked to buy these masters like just a few weeks before that. And they were sold as part of this deal to this new record company. And so she couldn't get a hand on these masters, Chad. She decided to go a different route, which I found quite interesting. She decided to try and devalue those masters entirely by re-recording a whole new version of the album and re-releasing it as what she's called a Fearless-Taylor's version, which is the exact same songs, but sung by a much older and mature Taylor Swift with slightly, slightly different <laughs> orchestrations and arrangements. And she's now released that for worldwide use. And the reason she was able to do this was because she was a songwriter on all those early songs. So she still has, I don't understand the yep. IP entirely, but she still got a piece of that IP. And so I was able to release these new versions. And it's now asking her fans to, rather than streaming the original album, stream the new one. And that is fascinating to me.
0: It really is fascinating, and I actually read, weirdly enough, Barry. I read through the this whole um, email newsletter because I actually did sign up to it as well. We're talking about uh, Ben Thompson and the newsletter Stratechery, which you mentioned to me before on this on this podcast, and and I, that, that's why I've signed up. Uh, but seldom to actually go and you know, read through the full thing and. Kind of part of how she's been able to do this, I guess, is, is having that element of control, control of the audience. And it's a, it's a key distinct kind of change in the music industry all overall, uh, where, you know, previously you you basically had these masters which were, you know, that was the final product and, and ultimately uh, the, the person who was able to control the sales of that uh, was, was one in control and that was normally the, the record label. Uh, whereas now it's kind of more split between uh, actually paying money for music and also controlling attention um, and so you know for me the fact that she's actually been able to lobby her, her fans um, to in future basically switch all of their listening to uh, this new version which is taylor's version and that's very specifically branded on the album cover um, is is quite remarkable, really. It really it really is. It really is quite interesting. Um, and, and of course, you know, just be, even being able to do this uh, is something that you wouldn't have been able to do in, in previous decades' time because of the fact that ultimately, you know, if you had really bought a CD, what were you going to do? Were you going to sell that CD and go and buy Taylor's version again? No, you would, you would have listened to the one that you had. Whereas now, when you're streaming, ultimately, the majority of people are going to be indifferent um, as to, you know, whether they're, picking one version or the other obviously with the added incentive of of loyalty and uh you know for those who are super fans of taylor it certainly isn't too much to ask uh you know when it comes to to listening listening to your favorite track
1: It really shows how sticky intellectual property actually is, and, like you say, Taylor's actually got the control here because she's got the audience, and she's got that loyalty like you speak of. and so you can you can write on your balance sheet that your i p is worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars for this old this old piece of masters, right and all of a sudden overnight that value can can halve or can co- go to a quarter of what it was. And so it's a reminder of how <clears throat> how tricky these things are. and I think chad, we are I think we're moving past those days of these these really predatory record label contracts because artists are realizing that if they can control the distribution, if they can control the the, the merchandise, they can control the bits and pieces of their business because all these yeah. barriers of entry have come down. Why do we need record labels at the end of the day, right? Anyone now, Billy Eilish showed, we can record a, a, an album in your, in your bedroom and release it mm-hmm. and become the world's number one artist in, in no time. And so I wonder what the future of record labels is going to be because there's so many of these stories. We keep bringing them up of these superstars who decide, hold on a minute, we've been taken advantage of in the past because people didn't really realize what those albums were going to be worth in the future, and now we're taking back that that power. <clears throat> but just to re- revisit one of the, the arguments we made in, in one of the previous conversations is that we have to remember these record labels are taking risks, right? And they deserve Definitely. to be rewarded for these risks. For every Taylor Swift that Big Machine Records signed, there's probably a hundred other artists that you don't know the name of because they didn't work out. And they paid the same amount for those masters as well <clears throat> and so yep. it's a really difficult decision here as to where does the commercial value lie and who is entitled to what and if you sign a contract when you're 19 years old and then become the world's biggest pop star like do you have a right to then turn back time and kind of take those rewards from the person who believed in you in the beginning and I, i'm a bit conflicted on that
0: yeah i i felt the same feelings on this too to be honest um you know, just because things maybe didn't didn't play your way, uh, ultimately you you did sign a contract and you were kind of bound by bound by that. Um, and now the fact that you're able to change, uh, you know, so dramatically like this and, and benefit have the benefit of the record deal, um, which propelled you into fame and stardom. Uh, and now that you 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 maybe have writer's block or it's just a case of I know I'm, I'm being very strong here and for those Tay Tay fans, uh, this is nothing <laughs> personal. Um, you know, potentially a case of, of you're greed. gonna get so much hate now, Chad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now you know now you want you want profit <laughs> du- doubly on that. Um, so it, it is interesting. Um, and you know when, when you do look at, at music and, and royalties and how it all gets divvied up, you're quite right, Barry. so that the master is is all it is, is 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 as soon as you take music from what they call the ether and you you put it on any form of medium, um, you know that that then becomes a the master. Um, and, and obviously, the person who facilitated the recording of that will, will get paid a certain amount every time that song is played. But naturally, you do have the songwriters and, and the performers on each of those uh, recorded tracks, and so they would always have got an allocation of royalties. Um, but, but naturally, she, she, you know, she wants the, the full chunk of the pie. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm keen to see what the what the sort of numbers are going to be on this album. Uh, and most importantly, Barry. I wanted to ask you if you've even listened to it. Is it even good? Is it any good? Is it even better than the, the first one? What's your rating?
1: Yeah, so Chad, I did go and listen to it because I was curious <laughs> as to whether she made any significant changes or any like speeches maybe halfway through one mm. of the songs. And from my ear, I don't I don't hear much of a difference to be honest. And and granted, I haven't gone and listened to the old one, so maybe I'm just. Uh, Maybe it's like my memory is not that good, <laughs> but it seems very similar. It's the same old songs that we know and love. And, but Chad, it was quite nostalgic because I haven't listened to that old Taylor Swift's music in a long time. And so it was quite nostalgic. But what I, what I found interesting was that how quickly I was able to switch to that new album. Like there's no reason for me to go back to the old one. Sure. Like just like this, I'm going to listen to Taylor's version whenever I listen to those songs. Um, and so it was a nice little trip down memory lane, Chad. And I didn't hear anything completely bizarre that I wasn't expecting.
0: Okay, cool. I need to go and give it a listen. Um, it certainly has been a long time since I listened to that album. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll kind of check it out again uh, at some point. So so keen to do that. And, uh, I mean, of course, Barry, this is, you know, talks talks to that conversation we had not too long ago about David um who was able to, to basically cut his audience from watching the networks, uh, from watching his show, um, and ultimately, you know, managed to release his own sort of version um, and, you know, after getting all of those eyeballs off the screen, uh, he managed to get contacted by uh, by the producers and you know struck an, struck another deal, um, which which is interesting because you know he he obviously tried to go down that route first, uh, and you know was was given a firm no, and only after actually controlling the eyeballs and, and redirecting them off of the content, uh, you know the the producers figured well, if we can't beat them, just join them.
1: The customer always wins, Chad. The customer always wins. And if you can get the users on, on board and on your side, you can do anything. We've seen how Uber has been managed, has, has managed to change regulations all around the world when it comes to taxi cab companies, just because of the weight and the power of the social pressure to make those Uber rides as convenient as possible. And so this is yet another example of how if you actually control the audience, if you have the customer base and the audience on your side then contracts don't matter as much as you think they do. Unfortunately, it's one of those things where you hold the soft power in that relationship and if you're able to wield it and use social media to your advantage, you can really like move mountains. And that's a great example. It's the same thing, Chad, when, when you have a complaint with a service provider or a restaurant or something, and you go to Twitter to, to shout your mouth off. The 100%. reason they respond yep. to you there is because yep. it's in the public, right? Compared to emailing them and never getting a response, you make one tweet in the public, and all of a sudden there's 14 different customer service representatives trying to send you free free chips yeah. or free burger whatever the story is. Um, and so it's a great example of, of using the power of the crowd to, to to get the right thing done
0: yeah and weirdly enough in, in that example Barry I think it's a great example um, that applies regardless of how many followers you have I mean I have hardly any followers on on Twitter um, and of course while we while we're there I'll, I'll give my my Twitter handle a little plug uh, for those watching live um, <laughs> but but but've I've done this so many times and it's been really effective uh, like you say the, the, where the other channels just you know, don't compete. Uh, One little tweet on Twitter, I guess it has the the power of going viral, I guess, which is always uh, what these companies try to, to guard against.
1: Another great example that comes to mind, Chad, from my corporate days is when someone is not sending you the work that you need, a little sneaky CC of their boss in the email, just to give it a little (laughs) bit more spice and a little bit higher stakes, it often gets you the response you need pronto.
0: That's another good example. some great examples uh it's crazy that there are so many cases uh, similar to this uh but yeah i guess we could keep going on for for days but no one wants to listen to that barry so let's uh let's move on let's talk about another story this week i know it seems like we're kind of just jumping from thing to thing but there's a lot to talk about there's a lot, a lot we want to cover um and of course we we naturally uh, you know move back into the world of COVID and vaccines i know we keep talking about it, uh, but it's it's a big area of our lives right now. Um, and this is something that I actually haven't been following too closely. So I did see uh, that the US have suspended the use of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, uh, but I don't know all of the details. So hoping you can fill me in, Barry. I'm going to try my best, Chad, but
1: it's one of those stories, again, that has been completely misrepresented by the media, and I feel like it's been blown right. out of proportion to a ridiculous extent. Basically, the idea is that, well, not the idea, what happened is that I think there were six women in the U.S. who suffered quite dangerous blood clots after receiving the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Now, okay. just, to, just for confusion's sake, this is different to the AstraZeneca blood clots we chatted about last week. This is obviously on a different vaccine, right? And so these are six women who suffered blood like clots and had some really terrible illnesses. So we really send our, our regards to them. What, what, it, what it kind of prompted was the U.S. FDA, which is kind of the regulatory body looking after all the medical stuff in the U.S., to put the, hit the pause button and say, let's, let, let's look into this more carefully. Let's make sure we know what we're doing before we proceed with giving out more Johnson Johnson vaccines. Now, at this point, there's already been 7 million doses that have gone out to to Americans around the country. And, and so for six people out of 7 million is a tiny, tiny percentage, right? So it's really nothing to write home about. It's nothing to get super worried about. Um, but unfortunately, what I think is, is gonna happen is that people are gonna be start to be put off by these vaccines because of these stories that are coming out, right? And so I think it's important that we investigate these things and we figure out what the actual reality is. But at the same time, we have to understand that those six people, who knows what other comorbidities, who knows what other things were in the background that were affecting that, that result. And so we shouldn't throw the baby out of the bathwater just yet and rather do our work. And where it comes to this side of the pond, Chad, is that the South African Department of Health basically did copy paste on the press release and pasted it here in okay. South Africa. And okay. so South Africa has also suspended any use of the Johnson Johnson vaccine Awaiting the res- the results of whatever investigation the FDA is going to do in the US. So at the moment, South Africa is still trying to vaccinate its healthcare workers, and Johnson Johnson was one of the key vaccines that are being being put into people's arms. And so it's a bit of a setback to put put that on pause. It's going to slow the process down even more. Um, but I can understand the caution to an ex- to an extent, just to try and make sure there's nothing serious here. But I'm hoping, Chad, in the next couple of days or maybe a week or two, we can get some more information on what caused those clots. And hopefully it's good news that we can get back to where we were.
0: Yeah, it is a really interesting one. And it's exactly what we chatted about last week. Uh, I was talking more about AstraZeneca and the Oxford vaccine. Um, but I had a very interesting discussion with, with a friend this week. And uh, just talking about blood clots, generally speaking, and female specifically, talking about the pill. Um, now I don't know. Obviously, I don't I don't know too much about this berry, uh, but I believe there's a an incre- like a really really high risk of of or higher risk of blood clots uh, with the pull, and uh, you know people have been happy to roll that out into kind of sixteen year old uh, girls going going back in, in into time. Um, so so why is this why is this different? I mean obviously you know, chatting to female, from a female perspective, uh, you know, it certainly seems worrying in terms of just, I guess, the gender, um, you know, conversation and and people in, you know, decision making positions, Uh, happy to sign that off. Uh, you know, for for the ladies who are taking the pull, uh, but not happy to sign it off on a kind of wider vaccine rollout that's going to be uh cast to to both genders. Um, but it certainly is a, an interesting discussion because here we are talking about a risk, uh, of of blood clots to to protect something that you know basically causes death. Uh, whereas of course on the on the side of the pull, um, it, it's something that that a lot of ladies take to you know prevent birth kind of thing. Uh, and you know of course. A whole bunch of other reasons, uh, you know, including sort of hormone regulation and that kind of thing. Uh, but I think it, it is an interesting discussion to have, Barry.
1: Yeah, I think I think so. I think what the what the interesting conversation to have is looking at the probabilities and the numbers here. Like you say, the the pull causes way more way higher percentage of blood clots than, than any of these vaccines do. And so it's worth keeping that in mind. And like you say, putting them into perspective, like we are so bad as humans, as thinking in a statistical way, we're so bad at understanding what six in seven million actually means as a probability or as a percentage, right? And so this is a great example of just kind of rejigging our, our assumptions and our anchor points in our mind to understand that there are a lot of other medicines that have even worse side effects that we are more than happy to take for various reasons, what I don't think is, is is a fair um comparison to make is is regarding the gender thing. I, I don't think that this is a based comparison at all. I just think that we're in a we're in a state with this vaccine of of absolute fear and stress. And we've been through a chaotic time as a world in the last year or so. And so I I don't think I don't think it's it's the case because it because it's um affects women, we can let it go. But when it affects women, women and men, then we kind of have to hold the brakes. I don't think that's the that's the point. But I think it's just a, a side effect of, of what we've been through as a world in the last year that we want to make sure we do this right. And there, there is so much drama and misinformation out there about vaccines that this kind of just feeds those narratives and gives us anti-vaxxers ammunition to then go out and, and, and write headlines and talk about these stories in a very sensationalized way. And so I think it's important just to take a pause when we see a story like this and really wait for the data to come back before we make any sort of rash decision. I don't think that this is anything to worry about at this stage. It's still absolutely minuscule numbers. And as we've said, compared to some other medicines that we take on a regular basis, it really is nothing to worry about. And so I think it's important for everyone not to get carried away with headlines and not to kind of run around in their WhatsApp groups screaming, the sky is falling, Mm -hmm. the sky is falling. I think some patience here is important. Let's do the investigation. Let's figure out exactly what's going on and then we can make a decision from there. The lucky thing is we've got tons of different vaccines that are in production. Of course, Johnson & Johnson and And AstraZeneca are not the only ones that are in production. And so hopefully we can find a way to kind of get around this and kind of figure out what's going on with those blood clots. But hopefully they are just kind of anomalies and we can get back to vaccinating as quickly as possible so we can get the world back on its feet.
0: Let's hope. Um, I think that that plea for kind of normality and calm and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, rather than spreading misinformation, is a good way to, to tackle it until we have more info, uh, which will come in due course. I, I think we just need to be a little bit more patient. Obviously, these things are very new. Um, and, you know, it's only when the sample or this population of people who have received them grows big enough uh, that we can actually start tracking um, you know all of these kind of trends and uh, and figuring out these anomalies. So I, I think that plea is, is a good one to have Barry and uh, yeah do your part, do your part in not spreading uh, misinformation. Uh, I, I just had to be the, the devil's advocate in uh, you know suggesting a little a little uh, conspiracy theory there, Barry. Um, <laughs> so we, we're gonna we're gonna keep on the somber note that we started off with uh, at the beginning of the episode. Uh, and this is rather, rather unfortunate because, you know, we had quite a, uh, you know, really distressing conversation, however many months ago, it's kind of approaching on a year, Barry, I don't even know, um, when, you know, when George Floyd was murdered. Uh, and basically, we we kind of at the same point now this week, uh, with a, a guy by the name of uh, Daunty Wright, um, who was also killed in, in Minnesota. And to be honest, it's not, a, it's not a story I've been following awfully closely. I've, I've kind of been under a rock this past week. Um, but I, I did catch up a little bit on, on my way back uh, this evening. And just watching that kind of one-minute clip... Um, which, which really lets you always, uh, as the viewer, kind of decide on where you stand on this. Um, and, you know, lots of commentary coming through from, from everyone, uh, you know, in the, in the public eye, uh, you know, talking about how, how kind of ridiculous this is. Um, ultimately, a guy gets pulled over, um, I think it was a, a warrant uh, that, that had been outstanding or, or something like that. Um, he, he then gets asked to kind of get out of his vehicle um, and is in the process of, of actually being arrested. Um, and, you know, at that point of the video, he, he kind of seems to, to break away or seems to try and, you know, like fled the scene, you know, flee the scene kind of thing. Um, and it's at that point that you hear a, the, a female police officer screaming, I will taser you, I will taser you. Um, and so you, you see him kind of rush back into his car and almost get ready to, to drive off. And she fires uh, this, this weapon that is in her hand, and... Um, you know, obviously, having said, I will taser you in first she thought it was a taser, uh, but it turned out to be a gun and she actually shot him and uh, he is now dead, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that police officer has been, uh, she has resigned as well as the police chief. Um, but it's this continuing conversation, Barry, that uh, is really quite devastating to to keep talking about the pro- police brutality uh, specifically, uh, and one of the the most important details that I missed uh, is that you know Dante Wright was a uh, a black man.
1: Yeah, Chad. It, it's a story I haven't been following that closely, unfortunately, and so I'm kind of I'm running off some of the stories that I've read in the paper and like you say, well, how you've laid it out now. But it's a it's a really terrifying and tragic story of absolute gross negligence if it if it if it's played out exactly in the way you just you just laid out right um, and, and unfortunately the the PR and kind of the optics of this look really bad because we've talked a lot about police brutality on the black community in America and it's yet another video that kind of comes out and reinforces that that idea and that narrative right and injects more and more fear into these interactions between black black people and, and, and the cops in America um, every single one of these videos you see you start to worry about your own safety in your own cities around around the country right and it, it's a it's a horrible indictment of of what a police service is supposed to be um, these people are supposed to be highly trained they're supposed to be able to handle high-stakes situations they, they really shouldn't be making mistakes like this at all and uh, of course there's gonna be lots of conspiracies that come around with this as to whether it was a mistake or not and all of that chaos that's going to come with it but again it's open Opens up this wound that we've been trying to heal Chad it kind of pours salt in it once again and brings it to the forefront of the zeitgeist yeah and so as society we have to keep dealing with this we have to figure out like how do we do this better and and how do we train policemen better how do we kind of get rid of some of this nastiness and uh, unfortunately a video like this takes us a few steps back
0: I agree I definitely do um, I mean it just reminds me of of, kind of reading through that the the. Um... The narrative in in malcolm gladwell's uh, latest book talking to strangers and, and just talking about i guess you know this pulling over people for uh, for for these looking for that needle in the haystack um and, and ultimately not giving these people a fair enough chance um you know to to say their side of the story kind of thing uh, jumping to conclusions i mean of course like you say it seems uh, certainly from the statement it seems like it, it, it was a, an accident but i mean it's really hard to say it was an accident when you've got a family that's grieving uh that are never going to see their sort of 20 old 20 odd year old son again ever again um it's not one of those mistakes or, or accidents uh you know you you can ever kind of forgive in a way
1: yeah, definitely. It's one of those moments that that's going to live in in the minds of everyone affected for the rest of their lives. Like that sort of trauma changes people. That sort of trauma has really devastating impacts on both the family members, but also the police officer herself. Like if if yeah. if, if she's going to live with that with, with live with that for the rest of her life, it's going to be it's going to be absolutely traumatic. So yeah, our, our hearts and our condolences go out to everyone affected. I think it's a horrible, horrible situation, um, and another conversation it brings up Chad is is like the use of guns in America like we've had a yep. couple of shootings in the last couple of months that we haven't covered um and so the, the the gun violence and the kind of the gun rights and laws in America still remain a hot topic um, as to like how many deaths we see from from these sorts of incidents. Um, and so I, I don't know where I stand on the issue I'm not not well educated enough to understand all the nuances. But yeah, it 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 drags up so many societal discussions. Mm. One one minute video can really kind of open the open open the bag, and remind us of all the stuff that we haven't fixed just yet.
0: Hundred percent, and it's just I guess it's just that reminder that you know even though the 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 ongoing kind of Black Lives Matter protests are not happening kind of as they were, uh, you know, after the passing of George Floyd. Uh, these issues just don't they don't just go away um, you know as, as much as that the news cycle is quick and kind of starts stops giving it, it traction um, it just it just kind of reminds us that like you say Barry it, it's an important uh, issue that needs to uh, get the attention that it deserves um, and uh, I really do hope that I really do hope that you know now that Biden's in there's gonna be some changes on, on this front um, and certainly for all of those black Americans um, you know, just just being able to to live normal lives uh, without always kind of looking over their shoulders.
1: Yep, it's 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 vitally important that everyone feels safe in their skin and kind of safe in in in, in their local environments. And the moment that that isn't the case, something is is deeply deeply wrong. As a South African, we kind of we can sort of relate to that feeling of never feeling quite safe in our environments. Like we've chat a lot about on this podcast about how we aren't able to walk our streets with with want and abandon, right? And so we feel that idea of having to look over your shoulder all the time. And it's just crazy that it's still happening in a place like America, which is known as which is kind of the, the wealthiest and the, and the and the most successful country the world has ever seen. And so it really is a damning indictment that that's still the case. And when it's racially motivated, it makes it even uglier. And so here's the hoping that we can keep making progress, that we keep talking about these issues, that we keep kind of bringing it up when needed, um, because this is the sort of social progress that is desperately, desperately needed to bring everyone onto an equal footing.
0: Absolutely. Well, we'll just keep kind of extending that progress further to the right, Barry, until that bar eventually gets filled up uh, and and everyone gets to live the lives that they deserve to live, really. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll keep on it. Well, let's then move on, Barry, to our next segment.
1: So, Chad, I watched a fascinating documentary on Netflix. It feels like every week we are, we're talking about Netflix recommendations, <laughs> but I, I can't help myself, Chad. I watched yep. this amazing documentary that I just wanted to share with you and all the listeners, and it's a documentary called Three Identical Strangers. Have you heard of this, Chad?
0: I haven't. I haven't heard of it um, aside from your newsletter that uh, caught me up a little bit this week. Uh, anyone listening who has not heard of it, uh, you'll find a link down below oh, sorry have have not heard of barry's newsletter shall i say uh, you'll find a link down below in every single one of our episodes <laughs> to the all things barry sign up to his newsletter it's a great way to start your week uh but no barry i haven't heard of it uh what is it all about
1: So it's a fascinating story that comes from the 1980s. And uh, I didn't know anything about it until I got recommended by a friend to go and watch this thing. And let me try and explain a bit of the plot. So basically what happens is that there's this 20-year-old guy or 19-year-old guy who goes to university for the first time, right? He arrives at this campus. He doesn't know anybody. He's kind of on his first day. He's got those normal first day jitters. And on campus, he, he starts getting greeted by tons and tons of people. People are saying, hey, what's up, Eddie? How are you doing? I didn't realize you're coming back. And girls are hugging him and kissing him on the cheek. And he's very confused as to, wow, people must be really friendly here on this campus. He's very, very confused. And eventually, he gets he gets to his, his dorm room. And uh, someone else comes up to him and says, you're not Eddie, are you? And he's like, no, I'm not Eddie. Like, my name is Robert. Or, I think his name is Robert. And basically, what happens, what, what he figures out was that he has an identical twin, that was at that university the year before. And the only reason he found this out was because that that twin's friend kind of realized that this wasn't the real eddie this was like an imposter but it looked exactly like him and so they set up this meeting where these two identical twins meet for the very first time and it's this crazy moment where after 20 years um, of not knowing they had a brother of being adopted as a kid and kind of thinking they were just abandoned by their parents to realize that they were an identical brother and when they see each other for the first time it's basically like a carbon copy of of, they look exactly the same it's this crazy moment of 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 Absolute chaos, like, oh my word, I've got this identical brother. This becomes like a national story. It gets covered by the press. They go on TV shows together. It becomes this whole big deal. And then the story cuts to another part of the country where someone, where another guy is reading the newspaper and has this moments of looking in the newspaper and seeing two versions of himself. And oh, wow. they find out <laughs> that there's a third identical triplet who looks no exactly ways. the same. And again, has not met these guys. Catapults the story into another stratosphere because then the three of them meet and are absolutely flabbergasted by the fact that they are these three identical triplets that were separated at birth. And at that point, the documentary, it's very much like a very feel-good story, Chad. It's this idea of how these three people have found each other in this crazy, crazy world. Um, And this is before social media, before Facebook, before any of that stuff. So it really was a very strange occurrence to find these sorts of things out. As they start to dig into what the reasons for them being separated at birth are, they find out there's a rather dark under, underbelly to the story. Okay. And the truth of the matter is that they were part, they were unwilling participants in a, a study um, looking at separated twins. So what happened was there was this thing called the twin study where they wanted where they wanted to test the the, the age old question of nature versus nurture, like how much of your character and your personality and your life success comes from what the genes that you inherit, and how much of it comes from the upbringing that you kind of go through. And so they go th- they figure out that they were part of the study, and not only them but there were nineteen other sets of twins no who ways. were part of the study unwillingly and were kind of separated at birth from the same adoption agency and seeded into different families and then were tracked over their whole lives. And it's just the most amazing story talking about this incredible opportunity of meeting their identical brothers for the very first time and in this crazy ethical discussion about how the hell that these researchers kind of get away with this. How were they able to separate these brothers at, as, as a, at a young age and kind of get, get away with this? And the study has never been published. All the results okay. are held under lock and key. The researchers have disappeared. It, it's, it's very, very kind of all over the place. But this documentary has started to resurface some of this drama. Um, and Chad, I just found it a fascinating
0: human story. Really, really crazy. That really does sound fascinating. I mean, I, I didn't even know you could get identical triplets. I've only ever heard of identical twins. I mean, they can't be that common, Barry. No,
1: I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they are very, very rare. Um, and that's what made it such a special kind of moment is when that when you figure out there's a third one. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. And, chat I, I don't know about you, but... I think I would lose my mind if I was walking down the street and I saw like an exact replica of me at age 20 (laughs) and I didn't know I had a brother. Yeah. I I think I I would be, I thought I'd be hallucinating. It would be an absolutely insane experience. I can't imagine what that must feel like.
0: Well, it definitely sounds like something to watch. I mean, it it sounds like a fascinating experiment. I mean, all the ethical considerations aside, I'd love to know the results of that um, because this nature versus nurture debate um, is, is is really a fascinating one to, to follow. Um, I mean, do you have any sort of views on on that at, at this, as it stands at the moment? Uh, and even if there are any, you know, not fully-fledged ideas, um, I, I'd, I'd definitely be keen to, to hear your thoughts on it. But it, it certainly sounds like a, like a really fascinating uh, experiment, even though uh, for obvious reasons, uh, you know, ethically it seems like quite a strange one to, to actually mandate and, and carry out.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to say, Chad. It's one of those experiments that are almost impossible to kind of pull off because there are a gazillion different variables that play into it. And it's very hard to isolate nature versus nurture in, in its entirety, because no matter how you look at it, there are so many other variables to control for. And humans are so unique that it's difficult to spot any any relevant patterns. And so based on the documentary, they kind of they kind of say, they don't say very much. They almost say there's a mix of both. So I think it's very key that, that it is nature and nurture. It isn't like one. Or the other, um, some most a lot of our personality does come from our parents and does come from the genes that we inherit, but a lot of it does, also comes from from the kind of life that we live, and so I think it's an interrelated mix of both. I don't think it's academically honest to to kind of say either way that there's there's some definitive answer because yeah. it just isn't right. But what I found fascinating was just a reminder. Because often, often we overestimate nurture, I think, because we kind of th- – we, we know our own life story and we kind of think back and we, and we, we, we understand that that's what's made us who we are. But, but I don't know about you, Chad, but I've had these moments every now and then when I look at, I look at myself and at a mannerism or something that I've done and I'm like, yep. damn it, that's my dad. Like that's exactly what my dad would have done or said yep. or whatever. And so those moments when you're a bit older and you realize, oh, wow, they've influenced me way more than <laughs> I realized. It's a little bit scary sometimes.
0: It really is, um, you know, I, yeah, I so, so 100% agree. Um, I, having grown up, you know, with kind of divorced parents and only seeing my dad every every couple of weekends, uh, it really is quite astounding how many of those mannerisms have, have followed through and whether that is nature or nurture uh, is, is an interesting one. Uh, I mean, some of the, just the, even the key ways that I, I, I live my life and some of those key values um, have, have certainly pulled through and from my mom as well. Um, it, it's a fascinating discussion but uh, you know this documentary series definitely seems like something that is is worth the watch uh not just for the the kind of science and the uh, behavioral thinking behind it uh, but just from that moment of, of realizing that you're not alone there is another bit of your kind of you know blood and and Uh, and skin floating around and one someone who who looks exactly like you uh, that that sounds quite crazy so I'll I'll definitely go and check it out Barry is it is it just a one part series I know we've seen documentaries uh, of multiple parts released on Netflix too is this just a one part series is is it quite a long one Uh, one sitting or or do you want to kind of uh, spread it out, out across a couple of viewings
1: No, it's definitely one sitting Chad. It's one piece of about an hour and twenty minutes. So you can get you can get through it over a pizza this Friday night. <laughs> so I'd definitely recommend giving it a go. Um it's nice and short and it's really entertaining. Like I, I really enjoyed it, like you say, beyond the the weird ethical dots. Um and also what's quite interesting and a thing I didn't touch on, Chad, was it does focus a little bit on mental health. And it okay. asks the question is is if mental health is something that is eredited. Is 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 inherited? Sorry, what am I saying? Um, and the reason that that is the case is because when they are digging into some of these twins and some of these 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 test subjects, they realize that an awful lot of them, from the parents' side, had mental health problems and had some sort of mental struggles in their life, whether it's depression or anxiety or even crazier things like schizophrenia and stuff. And so, some of the 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 controversy and some of the allegations is that maybe this was also a mental health study to see if like your, your depression or whatever could be inherited through your genes or whether it was because of the upbringing that you brought up with. And at the end of the day, they figured out or they kind of, they clarify that that wasn't part of the study and come the notes didn't really talk about that. But it's a almost, it's a very interesting undertone to this thing and, and you mm. wonder whether the mental health part of it was also part of the conversation. So all in all, it's just a really fascinating piece of, of, of documentary and I can't believe I didn't know about it because this thing happened in 1980. I'm sure you saw the, the big hair in those photos. It really happened a while ago and so it's crazy to think it's only coming to light now
0: yeah crazy and that all that footage is is intact you know how much i appreciate that kind of thing barry uh i mean kind of just thinking about the the michael jordan the last dance series and looking back at all that old footage all unpreserved um i certainly certainly do appreciate it quite a lot there's another documentary that i've been meaning to watch on Netflix uh, that I think we'll talk about at some stage, but I haven't just yet, but I guess why not give it a bit of a tease for when we do eventually talk about it, because all of my friends are telling me to watch it, um, is called Seaspiracy, and I'm sure you've you've you kind of expected that to come out of my mouth. Um, have you watched it? I mean, I don't want to go too much into it, because I think we will certainly cover it in another episode uh, once we are both up to speed, uh, but I'm sure you've heard a couple of things if you haven't watched it.
1: I haven't watched it yet, Chad, but I've heard lots about it. It's on my list, but I, I for one, Chad, I'm just I'm flabbergasted that they didn't call it conspiracy. That, that <laughs> is just an absolute uh, slam dunk that they missed out yeah. on, and I'm absolutely devastated that they called it conspiracy instead
0: of conspiracy. Come on! This is the same man who missed the, the glaringly obvious across the pond cast um which you know <laughs> was uh, was quite a moment for us as well so it's so a you know after that kind of decision uh i'm i'm, in, I'm intrigued <laughs> by your disgust
1: <laughs> fair point chad fair one. one one i'll take the loss, take
0: the loss. <laughs> oh gotta love it gotta love it um yeah great name anyway regardless uh so we'll, we'll have to watch it and you know kind of catch up on it once we're both up to speed. But nevertheless, let's move on to our next segment.
1: Chad, I don't know if you remember that that one moment, that one podcast where your mind was absolutely blown apart when I was discussing uh, Elon Musk's company Neuralink, where they're putting these these chips into (laughs) our brains, Chad, to, to, to measure our neural activity and to control our neuroactivity in some way. And we chatted about it at length at that stage. We chatted about how they were doing it in pigs at this point. And there was a fascinating video released by Neuralink in the last week, Chad, called Monkey Mind Pong. And what okay. the video shows is absolutely bizarre and crazy. And Chad, I think prepare to have your, your mind blown once again. <laughs> what, the video, what the video shows, it shows a monkey who has learned to play the game Pong with its brain, okay. with its mind right? So for those who don't know, Pong is that simple game where you got these two paddles on either side of the screen and you're batting a ball back and forth and back and forth to try and score points against each other. And so what happened is they 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 kind of took this this nine-year-old monkey who's, who's quite smart and well-trained. They've implanted the neural link into its brain. And so what they were doing was they were measuring the neural activity as it moved a joystick around on the screen, right? So it had this little like like straw, where it was getting fed a banana smoothie, I believe, every time that it got points. So that was kind of the reward mechanism to keep it playing. And it was using the joystick to like move the the thing (laughs) around and play the game. And they were like measuring the neural activity during that process and matching the neural activity to what was happening on the screen. Until they got an algorithm that could determine what the monkey was thinking and compare that to where the the paddle must move. Once they had that algorithm and able to then disconnect the joystick entirely play mind which is an absolutely insane thing to see chad um and so basically he played pong with his mind with this neural and i think that's absolutely insane
0: yeah oh, fascinating i mean i i do remember that that uh episode very distinctly and my my uh, reaction to it i mean this is obviously very early stages. I mean this this level of tech was supposed to do a whole lot more than, than play a video game. Um but, but you know you can't you can't kind of look you can't, you can't not appreciate these big kind of breakthroughs um, because it's with something almost trivial like this that you are then able to build on onto the next level of sophistication until it is finally, like you say, ready to, to put into a, a human brain, um, which is which is kind of crazy. And I mean, based on based on that footage that we just threw, threw up on, on screen while you're talking, um, it certainly looks like this is something that they're able to do fairly quickly and, uh, you know, with, without much Uh, fuss really all you need like you say is is an algorithm that's able to uh, detect the the kind of um, you know any any kind of trends uh, while he's busy playing this game and and learning how to play it um, while using uh, a a traditional method or apparatus to kind of control where where that grid is going Um, and so yeah I I found that pretty fascinating just watching that little clip as well definitely a worrying step uh, of, of progression on this project
1: yeah, Chad, worrying is an interesting word there because I, I, I agree with you, it is a little bit of a weird one and it's quite bizarre, but it's got some really interesting positive use cases that people often don't realize. And even though you say it's a trivial thing, it's it's a, it's a parallel of what we're trying to achieve with this technology. If you think back to what we chatted about in the past, one of the major kind of breakthroughs they're hoping to get with this is trying to help some of the mind-body connections that might have been severed with people who are blind or who are deaf or who are struggling with mental stuff where their brain is not talking to their, their limbs or their organs or their body, right? And what this is an example of is kind of mapping those neural pathways for this monkey and translating that into actual action. And so if you kind of translate that into a human experience, what if someone is very capable, their brain is very capable, but their yeah. mouth doesn't work anymore, their vocal folds or their eyes or whatever. But what if you were able to map kind of those neural pathways and connect that to vision or to hearing or to any of these these, these other sensations? You could really change lives with that. And so while I think it's still very early stages and it's still a, a long way away, It's exciting to me, Chad, because it kind of points to the future that we might be able to unlock with this sort of technology. And even so even though it sounds weird to drill a hole in our skull (laughs) and put something in there, for people who are disabled and who are are struggling with these sorts of things, this this represents a really exciting opportunity that might come around in our lifetime. We might see this happen. Um, And so even though we're going to see lots of sci-fi movies and lots of conspiracies about it, of course, uh, I'm quite excited about the possibilities,
0: Chad, I'll be honest. Yeah, strangely enough, it's it's something I've been thinking about quite a bit this last week um, because my fiance told me she, she saw a guy running w- without any arms. Um, and we, we kind of chatted about it. Like, what is a life like w- without arms? Like, how, how difficult must it be to, to do anything, really? Um, and, you know, tech like this could, could make that life uh, you know a, a bit more manageable so um i, I agree with you I, i'm sorry for for calling it trivial um it, I, I agree it, it is <laughs> actually quite quite a big step um but but you know in terms of the, the rest of the the intentions of this when we first had our initial discussions um you know they were certainly aspiring for for a lot more um than you know than those kind of accommodations so whilst it is a great step um you know there, there certainly is quite a way to go as well
1: for sure, we, we we are we are we're still decades away from seeing this mm. in any real way, Chad. I, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. I think there's lots of testing still to be done. Um, of course, a monkey mind is and a pig mind is very different to a human mind, so we have to keep mm. that in my, in 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 our in our Good sights. Mind. But this is looking ahead. This, yeah, I said mind so many times. I was trying to avoid it, but anyway. Um, yeah, so it's, it's one of those things. As we look ahead, Chad, we, we look to the negative and the positive. Again, this, this kind of yeah. tool is neutral, and it depends on how we use it and how we implement it. That's going to determine kind of its impact on the world. And so I'm very curious to see what kind of world our grandchildren live in, Chad, and whether these are part and parcel of their lives or not. And if it can bring relief, if it can bring kind of an end to suffering for so many people, maybe that's a great way to go about it. We'll have to wait
0: and see. Absolutely. Hopefully, it can. Hopefully, it can. Hopefully, like you said, within a, within a decade or, or maybe even shorter, um, we can get these sort of uh, you know accommodative benefits from this kind of tech um, that would make a whole lot more people's lives a whole lot more manageable. Let's then move on, Barry, to our next segment. Develop and grow. I'm quite keen to, to hear this one, Barry. Um, I mean, I haven't really, I, I've just pulled it up here on the side, uh, but I, I'm pretty keen to hear you talk about it.
1: <laughs> of course, Jay. Let, let me give you the background story as to what prompted this sort of idea. I, I went for a run on, on Tuesday evening with with the goal of doing like a good solid 10K run. I was like, okay, cool. I'm getting back okay. into my fitness game. Um, like many people, I, I completely... Wasted away during lockdown, and I put on lots of weight, yeah. and I became an absolute couch potato. And I'm on that road to recovery, trying to get back to the person I was before lockdown. Right? You're not alone. And it's a long <laughs> and tiring road. And even, yeah, and even though I've been trying to keep fit, I've been going to hockey and, and and trying to get back to where I was. About halfway through that run, I felt really terrible. I was sore from hockey a few days before I was tired. And I got really frustrated with myself because I was like, why isn't my body responding in the way that I thought it was going to respond? In my my younger years, Chad, in my early 20s, I could get fit very quickly. And all of a sudden, the body would respond and things would come back. But I find as I'm heading towards 30, things don't happen as quickly as they used to. And Mm -hmm. fitness is much harder, harder one than it used to be. And so my poor girlfriend had to deal with a very grumpy Barry who was very angry with his <laughs> own body because it wasn't getting fit fast enough, right? Oh, no. And 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 so that's kind of the background to the story, Chad. And so I found this this person in Japan who is an incredible woman. She is 90 years of age, Chad, and she is a fitness trainer in Japan. She is Lifting weights, she is doing yoga. She is running. She is way fitter than me in every single way, and she is ninety years old. And so it's just a very wow. good reminder for me, Chad, that uh, like age is just a number. Like I can't use the excuse that I'm getting to thirty and like use that as an excuse. I really have no excuse. This woman only started training at age sixty-five, Chad. So she wow. obviously had this epiphany and decided to turn her life around. And if you look at the video, like we'll put the link in the description, if you're listening to this, it's a really inspiring video to show just what is possible of mm-hmm. the human body with hard work and perseverance. Chad,
0: absolutely amazing. I mean, like you, Barry, after this lockdown of inactivity, um, I also struggle to to get back into it. Um, and and you know, quite often I, I do I do kind of feel sorry for myself and say, uh, you know, I'm I'm approaching. Uh, approaching 30 and uh you know starting to starting to become an old man um but but you're so right it's absolute nonsense (laughs) and we need to kind of get out of those uh, sort of ideas and we need to um yeah there's never it's never too late to to get on that journey of um you know physical improvement and it just reminds me of of doing my first half marathon uh, and it's, it was one of the, the kind of toughest half marathons in Johannesburg. That is the uh, the Pirates one, where you literally have to run up over Northcliffe Hill Ooh. and down. And while I was on that Chad, climb, Barry, how did you do that for the first one? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't know, uh, but I did. But but while I was kind of on the way up on that climb, uh, an eighty five year old woman came running past me, Barry. Um, and, and of course you know you know with with someone with her of course but but uh, you know you've, you've got the age written on on the back of the, the the t-shirt and all that kind of stuff and it's just astounding uh, the kind of age and the kind of conditioning you can you can be in if you uh, if you if you plan for what we talk, spoke about very early in the podcast and that is your centenary Olympics um and, and this, this idea rings true again I mean it, it brings me back to also you know the half iron man experience that i had uh, and all of the the people much older than me flying past me with, with some amazing conditioning it really is all about how you live your life the, the kind of dietary choices you make um, you know whether you choose to take the stairs or the lift uh, or the escalator um, all of that all of that kind of stuff every every little bit counts uh, and this is a great reminder for anyone who's also feeling like they've accumulated a bit of weight uh, in lockdown and lost some conditioning maybe that's really never too late uh, to get started so so thanks Barry that that's an important reminder that I think we all needed
1: Without a doubt, Chad. It really spoke to me. It kind of got into my bones after I was swearing at myself running up that hill and like feeling completely out of breath. that It doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter what you look like right now. It doesn't matter where you start. All that matters is that you commit to some consistent practice, whether it's running or walking or stretching or whatever you're trying to do, and you do it consistently over time. And something that I'm trying to learn, Chad, is to be patient with myself, And not to expect six-pack abs in the first two weeks because that just isn't realistic and you to set yourself up for failure. And so what I am very bad at is being patient enough just to keep doing the reps, keep getting out there, keep consistent and know that it will come back in time if you keep doing the work. But you can't expect after your third workout to be like, why isn't my body changing? Why isn't my belly going down? Why aren't these things happening, right? Um, it, It really takes time. So for everyone out there who's feeling in the same boat as me and Chad, have patience um, and just keep working because if this person can do it, if this 90-year-old Japanese lady can do it, then anyone can.
0: Amazing. Well, uh, what better way to, to end off this episode than an inspiring message just like that, Barry. Uh, thanks for bringing us some develop and grow gold as always. Now, this this, this episode has been challenging. It's been tough um you know new location uh technology has not been playing balls for the first time for those who are listening afterwards um basically this this live broadcast was a bit of a nightmare we it's actually three live broadcasts because it it cut out so many times um but but we managed to get there in the end barry and and i think we had a we had a good episode nevertheless uh you know it's not always going to be your day um, but it's i guess what you make of it that that counts
1: Exactly. And so, my apologies from my side. I'm, I'm sure it's my Wi Fi. That's the, what I think has been the problem. Um, but thanks for bearing with us. If you're listening to this after the fact, hopefully it doesn't sound too disjointed. Um, but anyway, we, we got our chat, We got another episode in the bag. And that's what matters consistency over perfection, Chad. And that's what we have to keep telling ourselves.
0: Absolutely love it. Well, thank you very much for tuning in, whether live or otherwise. Uh, we, we love having you on the show. And we look forward to welcoming you back again. Uh, same time same place uh, on Across the Pond. Pond,